0: What if I told you that you could help solve the hospitality recruitment crisis with just £10? You'd say, shut up, take my money, wouldn't you? Well, that's exactly what a new initiative called Hospitality Rising is going to do. Between now and May the 12th, we are raising £5 million to fund the biggest hospitality recruitment advertising campaign that the UK and beyond has ever seen. We want to double the amount of people who would consider working in hospitality. Think Army be the best, but for hospitality. All we need from you is £10 per employee that you have in your business and together we can stop this recruitment crisis forever. Go to hospitalityrising.org now to find out how you can help today and don't
1: forget to tell your HR team and your CEO. Supersonic! Supersonic!
0: Supersonic!
1: Supersonic! Supersonic!
0: Supersonic! Supersonic!
1: Supersonic! Supersonic! Super Supersonic Supersonic From Supersonic Inc This is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast The rocket fuel podcast for food, drink and hospitality businesses everywhere Listen up, tell all your friends and share with your colleagues Every single episode is packed full of tips, tricks and advice On how you can make your brand Boom Hi, are you still using a trunk system to manage your tips? Well, if you are, you're working way, way, way too hard. TipJar is HMRC cleared and uses tech to enable your customers to tip your staff directly. Find out more
0: at wearetipjar.com. Join the tipping revolution.
1: A creative agency for the hospitality sector, Saved by Robots create compelling brands and memorable experiences through great design and engaging storytelling. From Scottish restaurant of the year Sugar Boat to Tip Jar, the digital tipping platform that's taken over the world, Saved by Robots excel at bringing ideas to life. As well as developing new concepts and refreshing existing brands, the robots provide outsourced graphic design to help multi-site operators grow with confidence. Check out their work and get in touch at savedbyrobots.com so today i'm talking with one of hospitality's recruitment legends recruiters sometimes get a bad name but this guy has the best name in the business we really chat about being a recruitment consultant what it's like on the other side and some things that i've never thought about before which is if it wasn't for people like my next guest dan cornwell of SPE resourcing, then you might not have the right team, the right people, and the right structure for you to succeed in your business. Hugely underrated, hugely underappreciated. We really should be embracing our recruitment partners because after all, they give us the oxygen of great people to make our businesses even better. I think you'll really enjoy this chat. We cover so much about hospitality and the scene as it is outside of hospitality and what's going on and also we talk about my latest project Hospitality Rising. So it gives me the most Giza job pleasure ever to introduce my next guest who is a new friend and uh, we've been having some great times up in that there Manchester and it's Daniel Cornwell founder of SPE Resourcing. How are you doing? I'm all right
0: how are you call, it's always
1: Good. always i called you daniel <laughs>
0: that's all right I'm sorry daniel's my sunday name i can live with that if it's you're so in I've trouble far worse as oh. you
1: know. well that's what the whole podcast about is what all the things you've been called <laughs> in your life
0: um, Christ, how long have you
1: got <laughs> so uh you're wrapping up for easter We holiday soon yeah
0: nice Be good to get away it's crazy crazy few weeks i'm sure it's the same as you with the world going back to life
1: yeah no definitely well actually i mean it'll be nice next week because so many people will be away and you won't get hassled and you know so that'll be that'll be lovely that'll be lovely i don't mean hassled you know what i mean um so what about you what's happening at the moment how are you seeing the industry resourcing all that jazz what's the story
0: so i think it's uh, God, where do you start, really? I mean, the, the two years of COVID were an absolute rollercoaster, as you can probably imagine. There was lots of false starts. And then I think there's been a real focus on resourcing from the, the middle of the middle of last year, really. There were a few brave souls who carried on recruiting throughout the pandemic because they saw it as an opportunity to refresh their marketing or, or maybe look at property. So, that, you know, that I think a lot of the work we did moved away from traditional operations recruitment to maybe some stuff to help people come out of COVID so very very busy towards back in the last year and the start of this year I think now everybody there's a sort of pause for thought and people are kind of seeing this wall of costs coming at them and thinking right you know let's start trading let's see how summer goes before we start hiring
1: it yes yeah, so you think there's a bit of pausing going on Yeah, I think so.
0: And I think that it's also reflected in the candidate population as well. You know, to find the best people, you've got to go and search for them. Candidates are are being pretty loyal, you know, rightly so. Their companies have either not looked after them, so they're on the market anyway, Mm. and, you know, you'll see them sort of floating around. But the the better candidates, I suppose, have been looked after really well by Mm. the better companies. And so to actually find them uh, is hard enough, and then to prize them out is even harder. And I would argue that, uh, clearly, our whole business is predicated on that being able to find the best people and then convince them uh, that there's a better role somewhere else. And there isn't always. If I'm really honest, you know, I think you have to. I think you, being me, you kind of have to hold your hands up and go. Sometimes, you know, what you're in a good spot. Let's keep in touch. We, we I placed a guy last year. After I first spoke to eleven years ago, and I think that's that's the nature of recruitment. Really, you
1: can't you can't always get every every person that you want every time yeah i mean in terms of uh recruitment you know the industry and i guess it's perception out there with operators and, <laughs> and all these kind
0: of things oh, it's horrible <laughs> mate honestly it's full of shysters. the whole, the whole sector is full of I, you know, I mean, someone once said to me, you're one up on the food chain from a agents agent. And it's kind of stuck with me. And, um, do you know, I think the reputation the industry gets is pretty fair, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, there are less than half a dozen people that I know, having been in the sector for nearly 25 years, that I would recommend and I would pass business to. And I would, you know, if it wasn't for us. Um, it's uh, it's, uh, it's an industry where I think people... Come in very young, generally quite naive. I think certainly it's, it's, I think there are companies doing it better now, but it is, it was a bit of a bear pit, if I'm honest, mm. in the 90s. Um, I always think of it as sort of where I started work was a bit Wolf of Wall Street without the dwarf throwing. So <laughs> I think of it. it was certainly, I didn't see any dwarfs, um, yeah. It was pretty, <laughs> hard, unfortunately, not. I'm sure the guys who run it did, but um, I, I think, uh. I think that those of us who are still around, um, most of it. I think. I think some of the guys will have changed. I think the industry has changed, but it's still. Uh, look, ultimately, um, it's still a sector that I'm very proud that we can try and be slightly
1: different to the norm in, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so, just going back then, you know, in terms of getting into recruitment and you know, how you, you started this and then how you've built SP up. Um, you know, yep. what, what sort of happened there? You know, how did you sort of fall into um, that?
0: No one ever, no one ever goes through school and through uni and goes, I want to be a recruiter. I think it's, uh, and, and I think that's probably why we've ended up doing all the work in hospitality because there's quite a lot of parallels, you know, mm. it's, it's getting more commonplace, I suppose, that people look at hospitalities. It's got more, and more airtime on telly and, um, you know, the the scene in the UK certainly has got better. But I think, you know, 20 years ago, um, perhaps people didn't say, I want to have a career in hospitality, just like they've been in recruitment. So I fell into it. I was at Sainsbury's on their grad scheme. I did a year, well, I did 364 days, actually, but let's not talk about that. (laughs) Um, And then uh, Michael Page said to me, do you want to come and do recruitment? Blah, blah, blah. When I went to see them for a job, uh, and I, I, I have to say, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved working. Page had a brilliant boss, uh, Rob Archer. Can I name check? I yeah, can name check Rob. Karner. He's still going, uh, just about, I think, um, I'm surprised he hasn't retired yet, but, um, Rob was brilliant. And, um, he, uh, I think he demonstrated to me about leadership and when you're recruiting and you're recruiting leaders, when you actually have an inspirational leader yourself, and you understand, I think it kind of, it kind of helps you get that empathy. Um, so we started off the resale recruitment business and then I eventually had enough and and realized I didn't really want to be a manager or a director in that environment. Mm -hmm. I didn't really see myself as a corporate. I wanted to do things differently. Their structures wouldn't allow. And um, then I uh, went around the world for a year uh, trying to work out what I wanted to do and came back, met a friend for a pint and he said, let's start a recruitment company. So we did. we built that over five years. I had four years and nine months of the best time of my life. And then three really crap months uh, when the recession hit and we went through a pretty torrid time, actually. We'd overhired. Um, we were trying to effectively sell the business or get investment for the business and, and then grow it. But, um, and I think what I realized was I'm not the person. I'm probably pretty good at ideas running something small, but when you get to 30, 40 people, I probably wasn't the right leader to run that business. Mm. And so so eventually we sold that, and then I started SPE back in
1: 2009, and here we are, 13 years later. Nice. And who's all involved then? What's the team and the setup and all that? So We're a really, really
0: small team. Um, so there's only three of us who are consultants within the business. We've got resources who work on a pro ten basis, so depending on projects, Obviously, through COVID, we didn't use any resources at all. We all went back to the floor and did all our own resourcing, which actually was brilliant. I loved it, um, and it actually learning about going doing everything yourself. I kind of um, because we didn't have the volume of work there, you learn which parts of your process are good and which are bad from a candidate and from a client perspective. You get some really great feedback. Actually, it enabled us. I think I think we've come out a lot stronger. I think our PRs better. I think we did so much to help other people. We spent the first three months of COVID just uh, trying to keep the sector alive and keeping people in jobs. And um, you know, even I even had a guest appearance on Newsnight, which was kind Brilliant. of bizarre, really, especially because I've been out. A, I've been out. For the evening at a taste at a taster menu, and I'd had a few drinks, and they said, "Oh no, it'll be fine. You just come onto newsnight," and it was, <laughs> it was fine. But I had to do it in the back office of Juicy Street Warehouse in Manchester on a on an iPhone because oh, wow. I couldn't get home. For it. But yeah, it was it was quite good fun. But um, yeah, I'm sorry, I've I've completely lost. my No,
1: it was just it was just going through to to SPE and, yeah. and, and you know and and how you came about building that, and I guess also why why hospitality, so, you know. So I think uh, it's because I love food and drink, Mark. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, as as you
0: well know, um, I I think no one did it very well is the mm-hmm. honest answer. And we we fell into it at the back end of my time at R three, and then into SPE. We started doing more and more work in the sector. Um, I think if it, you know, if I can use a client as a, as a, if I can name clients, the so Green King was a, a huge huge client for us. We put over a hundred people into Green King from 2004, um, onwards. And I think we helped really reshape that business. I really do. I think if you look at some of the leaders we put in at one point, I think three of the functional, three of the five functional MDs were our hire, uh, something like 40 of the regional managers were our hires as well across the business. Um, we really, I believe we really sh- helped shape that business. Then of course you get into the pub sector, you start thinking, Oh yeah, I quite like it. It's fun. I like going to the pub. Who yeah, doesn't yeah. like pubs? Don't trust. It's like, yeah, and people say don't trust anyone who don't like dogs. Don't trust anyone who don't like dogs <laughs> and don't like dogs Dogs in pubs yeah, yeah. and don't like pubs. I mean, therefore it's the perfect sort of triangle for me. Um, so I think uh, we just liked it and we were good at it and no one else did it really. And then I think the more you start to live in a sector, the more you start to get to know the uh, the characters, the personalities. You know why someone would work brilliantly for one of the guys in Green King and might not work so well for one of the other leaders. And then, of course, you just do the same with all the other um, businesses out there. And then I think in the last few years, I'm very, very fortunate since I moved north to become – part of the Northern sort of food and drink scene, um, which has been, uh, you know, through, I mean, I have to, again, Tom Hetherington, who I know you've had on the pod, mm-hmm. um, is who's an absolute force for good and just happens to live around the corner from me and we, you know, he's, he's been hugely supportive of, of, of me and us. And I think we've made a big difference to a lot of the smaller businesses that perhaps might only hire one or two people a year. Mm-hmm. But what they want is some, they, they literally come to you and say, look, we haven't got a clue what to do. We don't know how to grow. What should we do and how should we do it? So I think our our role has evolved much more around the true partnership and consultancy and and, um, and hence, the, uh, hence the continued growth, I guess.
1: But that's something I would never think of is that bigger game of chess that's at play that, you know, you, you know, it's all that kind of serendipity stuff and all that. You know, if you didn't hire the best person or the right person and plug all that together actually the businesses wouldn't be as great as they should be
0: yeah i mean I don't they don't think about that I, at all
1: yeah and i think we
0: I, I obsess about it i go to bed thinking about the people i've put in and how well they're doing and when you have people that don't work out we've had uh we've had two that haven't worked out in the last two years mm. um which doesn't sound like many but i i think it's two actually in the last five years that haven't worked out we just don't have people who don't work out because because of what we do and how we do it. Um, we spend an inordinate amount of time with our clients in trade, just in trade, mm-hmm. um, not not for any reason. You know, I'll ring up somebody. I'll just say, look, I'm in your area. Can I just come and see some pubs with someone? And they'll just say, yeah, come and see. And, you know, I'll hear a new restaurant's opening or a new, uh, a, a new site's opening and it's a new venture. I'll say, look, can I come and have a look? Can I just buy some lunch? Or I'll just go and I'll mm-hmm. take my family. And they're like, you know, dad, why are we going here? And I was like, shut up. But I'm obsessed with with that because I think if you're, you've got to feel like the owners do about the businesses they run. If you work with them, you have to have that passion for their businesses. And the only way you can do that is to spend that time out with them and
1: and, and understanding
0: their businesses.
1: And how many businesses are you sort of roughly working with across the board?
0: Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I know that since SPE started, we've placed at over a hundred businesses, um, but some of those might just be one placement. I think we've got, you know, house—what I would call house clients—probably about ten mm-hmm. house clients that I will constantly be working on. Um, and then at, at any one time, to give you an idea, I will work on between four and six things on a on a revolving basis and then each of those it, it's it doesn't work like this each of those processes takes four to six weeks to get a short list mm-hmm. and so roughly if you work it out it works out that we're working on a roll week of course it doesn't work like that yeah. um but in, in reality that's that's the kind of measure we have and to give you an idea when we came out of covid at one point i had 13 things i was working on at the same time so we were it's, it's it was crazy it's crazy and um I mean, that's great because it's helping repair a balance sheet that was pretty sharp like everyone else. But, um, yeah, it's um, as someone once said to me, I'd rather be busy than
1: bankrupt. And I think that's that's pretty fair. Yeah. And then what what sort of levels are you hiring for then? So, again, I think
0: pre-COVID, we didn't do, I didn't do a lot under about sort of 100 100 grand ops director up to um, just below... You know, in the big corporates, we don't get the the C suite stuff, the two hundred, two hundred and fifty plus stuff. But our sweet spot was a hundred to one hundred and fifty k. I think, frankly, when your when your business was ninety two percent down, like for like, as we were in the first three months of COVID, I think you you basically, I wouldn't say you say yes to anything, but you you certainly have to start being a bit more flexible at the levels you operate at. So we did a lot more more junior, more volume stuff, just really to um, to, to ensure we, we, you know, we didn't, we didn't go pop actually. Mm. Um, and I'm sure like everybody else, we also did a load of stuff that was out of our comfort zone, did a lot of head of stuff, sort of 80, 60 to 80 K, but we did a lot of cross-functional. So we're probably, I think we were eight pre pre pandemic. We're 85% hospitality and of that 85% hospitality, 80% was ops. Mm And then during the pandemic, we were under 40% hospitality. And of that hardly any of it was ops. So we did care homes, we did medical, uh, we did dentistry, we did uh, anything we could do to ensure that the business survived and we kept people in jobs. Mm. And then it slowly started to creep up. And then last year we were 97% of our 2019 numbers. So yeah, we had one really tough year and then last year was much,
1: much, much better. And did you get your teeth done? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah they look good <laughs> <laughs> they're not bad are they
0: I have my, brother, my I blame my parents for that they, they forced me to have a brace when I was 15
1: so you know I, can't, I, I say thanks to them now but, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. good well and then in terms <laughs> of just what you're seeing out there um, mm. what's the sort of advice for candidates you know how can they best prepare themselves for so, roles like this and you know give themselves a good mm. chance to stand out
0: I think there's I think there's two or three things and it probably starts before interviews actually. Mm. I think uh candidates fall into two categories ultimately. They're either passive candidates or they're active candidates. Passive candidates, I think or or, or they might fall into a third category so they I'm not a candidate. I just I'm gonna be loyal to this business forever and a day. I actually, for what it's worth, and I would say this wouldn't I, but I, I think that everyone should always be always be keeping an eye on what is out there and and to an extent should be a passive candidate. doesn't mean they need to be looking for jobs or applying for jobs, but they should be talking to recruiters. Even if they're in the happiest job in the world, you know, a change of leadership, a change of ownership, a change of um, COVID, you know, there were so many people caught out by by it and who wouldn't be. I always think it's good to find two or three good recruiters and give you an honest appraisal of where you sit in the marketplace Mm -hmm. and a good recruiter will recognise that now not might might not be the right time, and they will just be there uh, to listen, to coach, to advise. And one day they might have that one perfect job, um, and they might ring you up, or you or you may your circumstances may change. So I think if you're an active candidate, slightly different. I think if you're actively going for interview, then it's kind of uh, you know where do you start? I mean, um, I think. Uh, c v's got to be good uh you you're you 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 have got to ensure that um everything you put on your c v you can substantiate. i mean it's all the kind of uh, yeah, advice you would give to anyone in an interview process i suppose mm-hmm. just make sure i mean the s p e stands for cmt of potential Rest, which is knowledge knowledge is power oh. and i i think ultimately i believe that the best candidates are always the best prepared candidates so in every process we ever do it's, we get them out in trade. We get them to look at multiple, multiple sites. We get them to pull a SWOT analysis together on those sites and we discuss them with them. And we're not necessarily looking for right or wrong. That's Mm -hmm. not my job. That's part of the client's assessment process. But what I want to see is that they're engaged with the business. They're engaged with the brand and they spend time getting to understand and and also sometimes they'll count themselves out you know they'll go and they'll look at a business or look at a brand they'll go hey look it's not for me mm. and actually i think it's very useful to do that before you start going through a process so i'm a big believer in us doing the work in the yards and the candidates um preparing thoroughly for their for their meeting in the process
1: and what about uh, candidates out of sector you know are you mainly fishing in the hospitality pool to move around, or are you out in fashion and tech and you in in those areas?
0: Uh, So uh, pre-pandemic, yes, absolutely. And um, I think if you look at all the trend data in in recruitment terms, because, I mean, we're lucky or unlucky. I'm either unlucky or lucky, depending on whether you believe being old is lucky. Um, But I'm old enough to have been through the last recession and the trend data we have from coming out of the pandemic is is incredibly similar just mm. it's just sort of squished and it's more extreme but it's the same stuff so during the la- during the last recession 2008 9 everyone went incredibly risk averse so they said well, you know we don't have the time right now to hire you uh, mr or mrs Um, retail manager into our hospitality business because what the hell do you know about clearing, uh, cleaning lines, changing barrels? You can't possibly run a pub. And so uh, they went for experience and you kind of understand why they would do that. And then of course, one by one, the braver companies, the more brave companies. So I I think Yum would be a great example of a company in uh, the sort of uh, noughties, early tens who really realized that there's a that leadership, great leadership, modelled great leadership is great leadership. It doesn't really matter whether you're selling chicken or beer or, uh, you, you know, pharmaceutical items. You know, it, it doesn't matter what you're selling. Mm-hmm. Leadership and, and uh, you know, being able to manage a team, uh, inspire them, um, it, it doesn't really matter where, where you come from. So Yum are a great example. If you look at the Yum alumni, there's some great people still there, but they're also scattered around in other businesses. Nearly all of those guys came from outside the hospitality sector. They came or they, they certainly didn't come from other fast food businesses. And so I, th- I think they realized that if you've got the structure to support that, you can take people from outside. And they were the sort of bravest ones and they reaped the rewards of that mm-hmm. afterwards. So I think that'll happen again. So in answer long-winded answer to your question, I think there is a risk of there is risk aversion at the moment. We can't put a, uh, a Boots regional director into Green King at the moment. Well, maybe Green King, I don't know. But, you know, into a pubco, a generic pub co. It's, it's a real challenge to do that. Um, but I think that will start to change mm-hmm. um, as, as, as businesses trade more normally and there's a bit more time for people to uh, settle in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's quite actually quite a limited gene pool Mm-hmm. there aren't as many people as you think there are and when you get up to that ops director level it's you know you if you're me you see the same names uh, a, a lot of the time
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and that's an issue
1: really. yeah well you know and just on that point then i guess we have got a bit of a staffing crisis going on and i've not really been thinking about it at those higher levels you know i've been a little bit like we've got enough ops people enough finance directors you know blah blah, blah. but maybe not i mean you think mm. that area is going to need more? I think there should be. I
0: think I would like to see more fresh blood, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see the 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 sort of merry-go-round of someone going <laughs> from one place to another. I mean, it it's. I understand why it happens, but I. I I can think of a couple of people. I can think of one person in particular who we put from a retailer into a bar business mm. and they've done an absolutely brilliant job, All, all that sort of culture. So it's um, focusing on culture and talent. So effectively people director. Um, but they, they didn't need to have that bar experience, but what they did need to do was have a real passion for the industry and live in that world. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, hospitality is pretty unique in the sense that if you don't love it and you don't, you don't know what good looks like and you don't live in that world, I think it is really difficult to move into it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I guess what would be a great example? Yeah. If you're a a big retail divisional director on hundred K and you wanted to go and run a food led pub company, if you weren't somebody that ate out or loved pubs, or love dogs and pubs, whatever uh, dogs and pubs is 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 one of my That's passions you're, you're, you're <laughs> I think um you, you can't make that transition, but could you if you really love that environment and every weekend you're out in a different pub yeah I think you probably can. Mm-hmm. so I think it I think you have to have a love for the sector. I don't think hospitality you can just exist. I think you have to really Love the sector. And I'm not sure the same is true in retail. Mm. I think you can sell stuff. I think it's so process-driven and process-orientated at times. I think you can sell stuff
1: you're not madly passionate about. Yeah. And then in terms of when you're hiring, you know, something, someone you're helping hiring someone, from that point of view, there's obviously the next stages. So I guess you're the Mm. acquirer. Yeah. And then... You're willing them and coaching them and helping them get the role if it's the right yep. thing to do. Yep. And then, how do you ensure that the onboarding is great yeah, so and a, they take and all that stuff? You know. So such a good question, and I think
0: if I think it's probably the one unanswered question in uh, in recruitment, really, it's that classic um, that classic sort of thing that day one someone walks in and it's just not what they were expecting. I think it would be too glib to say that the amount of time we spend with companies enables us to realize what they're really like. Mm. Um, but we do try and do all of that. So I spend a huge amount of time with the hiring manager, the line manager reports to hopefully the leader, the overall leader of that business as well. So you get a real sense of the culture. We try and take anecdotal advice um on what they're like but occasionally you know i mean if i look at the two people that haven't worked out one of those people um certainly i think when they landed there was some of the stuff that was sort of agreed in the recruitment process which wasn't necessarily in the original brief but they'd all had chats around there yeah. i think the reality of when they landed it just wasn't practical and didn't work and of course you're sitting there as a recruiter thinking. It's kind of not the candidate's fault, really. Yeah. And then, but you kind of also understand that the needs of the business mean that it's kind of not the client's fault, too. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. Um, but I think, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, of course, we can't control that. I think what I would say, Mark, is what we try and do is try and get candidates to mitigate that as much as we can. So, they, I do think our candidates are the best researched in the market. I do think our candidate packs are better than anyone else. I do think the amount of time we spend in those businesses is greater than anyone else, and I do think we try and mitigate it not being what what it says on
1: the tin. Mm. But occasionally, you just it it does happen. And what about, um, you know, there's a, well, going to be a lot of people out there that do great interviews and then they're just not a great candidate. So they, they've talked themselves yeah. into the role, I'm, I'm semi-looking yeah. at myself when I'm saying this. I think <laughs> it's like you can perform brilliantly yeah. at the audition, yeah. but then yeah, so seven it, nights a week, you know, how, how I would, do you spot those? I would flip it the other way as well. I think there are people who are terrible at interviews who are yeah. really
0: good candidates. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, uh, the honest answer is, Um, we try and do a lot of very subtle reference checking on candidates, Mm. soft reference checking. So if we're not sure on somebody, we do ring up people who they've worked with and say, tell me about them. We encourage them to give us some soft references as well. So we can do that. It's It's a thorny area because I can think of someone recently who's worked for a good friend of mine. who says they're fantastic and blah, 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 blah. And I also uh, they they got a pretty bad reference from someone else, and it was just a personality class. I mean, it's people, it's leadership. So, what is? Yeah, you know, it's highly subjective. Mm. Um, but and and what is good? You know, you you've got to say to yourself, what does good look like? Is good just delivering a set of KPIs, or is good delivering? You know, is, is good about how they lead, and I mean, what is good? Mm. What does make someone good? So I think um it's a it's a good question um and one I don't have a, a perfect answer for really um, because I think it def- depends how you define um, yeah what 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 good looks like I will say that what I will say is there are a ton of people out there that are really genuinely great candidates who don't interview well yeah. and I think I think I don't know, you know, you, you sort of, when you're me and you've done this so long, you 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 take, I was asked once to define how I could work out whether someone was any good, which is a damn good question, really, yeah. because that's where I, why I charged, you know, that's why we charge fees. But I think it's really difficult to pin that down because a lot of the time it's kind of, you look at a CV and you make it, a relatively quick judgment and that can be oh, right, okay, who have they worked for? What's the culture of the leaders they work for there? Uh, has the CV got a ton of stuff around people, or is it all about numbers? And and then you look for, have they progressed in that role? People don't tend to progress unless they're good at the role that they do. You know, have they reached a the ceiling? Is that the Peter Principle? You know, you get, you know, the Peter Principle, yeah. I'm sure. You're always hired to one level above your competence. And, and I think I, lo- I like people who have had a good track record And fair, I like loyalty, actually. I like to see loyalty to businesses and people who have progressed within the businesses that they've been in. Because I think that shows that they're generally good at their job and well thought of by the leadership group. Mm. That doesn't mean someone has to be there 20, 30 years, but I'm not so mad on TVs where someone moves every three years just to move up the ladder. For me, it always rings
1: a few alarm bells. Mm. I think... I'm I'm really getting obsessed lately about the HR process being broken for the new generation. So yeah. Um, yeah, What what do you think on that? Because my my theory is my hypothesis I'm working on right now is, let's say we're going after people on TikTok and they are you know sort of younger, you know Gen Z, lower millennial, fifteen yeah. second attention span, yeah. and then we get into so, Long form stuff, right? Write me a CV, yeah. write me a cover letter, yeah. do it the old way. Yeah. Where are you? So I, I agree with
0: that? It. I, to- I totally agree with that. I'll give you a great example. Was um, we've used LinkedIn since its inception. Really, it's really useful for us, and we our hit rate on LinkedIn used to be about seventy percent because we we do a lot of research. Our research is very thorough. They only really target people that are right. There's no spray and pray. Crafted emails, a you know, really decent hit rate over the last two to three years our hit rate well on our recent recent campaign our hit rate was under 10 percent. and you're kind of thinking okay so if they change their algorithms are they you know blah 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 what what, what what's happened because mm. it just it's slow, been in slow decline and then suddenly it's dropped off a cliff and we basically long chat with the guys at linkedin and they said oh you're, your emails are brilliant they're just too long no one reads them we've changed how we deliver our our in So nearly everybody now reads it as a notification on their phone. So if you don't grab them within 200 characters effectively, like a tweet, mm. you, they won't read it. Yeah. And so we would get you, were, we were putting role profiles effectively in yeah. these and then no one's bloody reading them. So I think, um, and our, our, hit rate with the rate latest campaign, our hit rates gone back up to, to 60% and really? I think it'll end up at 70. So I think you, you know, definitely you've got to catch them. I think you're right. You know, then, you know, the system is then clunky, isn't it? It's yeah. see, send me a CV. We'll review. And I think, um, we've done quite a lot without CVs. Now I like it just because it saves me a load of time and you don't have to repeat yourself. So yeah. you can do an hour's meeting and you've already done 15 minutes prep and uh, read about them. So it just saves time really. But, uh, I hardly ever use a CV to interview uh, at all. I just use it as an aid memoir and I spend, um, and then just talk about, you know, talk about the individuals. We have done a couple of campaigns where people have said they don't want a CV. They're not interested. Yeah. We trust you. We'll meet these people. We'll listen to them. Mm. And maybe that's how it will go in the future. You know, people just, you, you'll you send them a link to their LinkedIn profile or whatever it is and say, look, look them up, yeah. have a look at them and let them bring you to life. But I think because we meet every single candidate face to face, either zoom or in person, I think CVs are a bit irrelevant really. I mean, that, that whole business model is surely shot, isn't it? You know, you get a CV, you ring him up, five minutes later, you fire it out the door and you charge five grand for it. I mean,
1: surely that yeah. business model is shot. Yeah, I think um, so. And and also, you know, I've had some recent success with uh, TikTok as well, you know, using TikTok as recruitment. Um, and that's been so much great learning in terms of how, how did that How did that play out then? What was the, how did that work in on TikTok? So... Basically, um, there's a podcast about it coming out soon, but um, basically we went to this amazing agency called uh, Antler Social, and they are TikTok experts, two 24-year-olds, they're content creators themselves, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I had read about TikTok resumes, which was a feature in the US only, I think. Anyway, it didn't last long, but I liked the principle, so I thought, if that's what everyone's attention is that we're going after, you know, then surely that's where we should be playing, right? We shouldn't be going on job boards and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it was like, right, mm-hmm. let's do that. So anyway, briefed them. They did. Co- they, they created content with what we would call influencers, but content creators who had three and a half million followers. All this. Wow. Cost thirty five grand in total, um, and we got around a thousand like decent applications. Right. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. from there, this is where it became interesting mm. about the break, the breaking. Yeah. Break. And it wasn't yeah. the fault of the company. It was just it was two worlds colliding. You know. So we had the way it's worked was you saw the piece of content, and the people in the piece of content said, "Just write in the comments hashtag I need a job," and that's it. Right. Yeah.
0: So hashtag yeah. I need
1: a job. We then picked up the hashtag or Antler did, went yeah. back and then got them to go through to the slickest, most frictionless one yeah. or two field landing page. And yeah. then that was you entered. So then what happened was, was, and I say it's not the fault of any HR department. And it was then we need your CV, we need your cover letter. You know. So I think it was a big learning for me, a huge eye Was that
0: volume? Was that volume recruitment? Is that sort
1: of entry level volume? Because front, I, I front, think that's front of house, back of house. Front of yeah. house, front of house. Back of house. Yeah, I, think
0: that's inc- I think that's exactly how it will go, Mark. Oh. I really do, and I think um I think for volume recruitment, there are so many tools that I haven't got a clue over. Yeah. When I hear something like that, that absolutely makes sense to me. I look at my kids and I think, how will they apply for a job? Yeah. You know, we were. My my stepdaughter's 18, and when she got her first job, pot washing in a local restaurant, mm. um, you know, we we were literally talking to her about, oh, put a CV together and go round, and and you think, wait a minute, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, no one's going to do that. Yeah. No one for those type of jobs is going to do that in years to come. It's yeah. going to be. They, these are people who spend a huge amount of time on their phones and they are always, if you can push something into their feed, that encourages them. Yeah. And I think that's what's really interesting about hospitality rising, which I'm sure you come on to. But mm. um, that's where the big opportunity, I think, in the sector is, is to yeah. start to get people to talk about the positive elements of the hospitality sector mm. and what it can bring, the sociability, the um, the, the fun in working environments, the the, the merit, meritocratic environment. If you yeah. work hard, you do well, generally, you'll mm. progress your career if that's what you want to do. Well, I think that's and the important um,
1: thing is if that's what you want to do. And I think as a yeah. industry was so obsessed about this, you become a manager, um, you know, you, it's, it's like you know playing Super Mario, and you got the levels, and it's like it's not that's not for everyone, and that's okay, you yeah. know, because yeah. promoting yeah. your best people all the time is actually a problem, yeah. right? So I agree, and it, recruitment's a classic for that. You know, if you look at the,
0: the in recruitment, what happens is the best consultants become the managers always. Yeah. So I I was promoted to manager, a page. I had a small team. And I was useless at it, absolutely <laughs> useless, because I didn't know how to manage. I didn't know how to lead, and I didn't. Um, but you know, could I have built a, a practice of people recruiting at senior levels where they didn't necessarily report to me, but I was sort of um, responsible for that? I could have done that really well, and I suppose I've, I've done that latterly in my career. Okay, I think I've learned to be a better manager mm. and a better leader. But I think, you know, it's, I guess the. Yeah, you know, the captain of a cricket team isn't always the best cricketer, yeah. and I'm and I'm sure, I'm sure that's true in a in a in a restaurant. There'll be front of house people who just don't want to be a, a general manager, yeah. um, and just want to be the best front of house person they can be, or senior, yeah. or
1: whatever. Well, it, it's it's such a big area, you know, and, and something to really think about. And I've just been out for a, a beer with uh, a fellow honest burger, you know, and he was super inspiring talking about this very thing. You know, when he was he was talking about, you know, why are we obsessed about promoting everyone and, you know, it's it's a real yeah. problem. So he's got a really different take on how we could go about things and I'm really excited to learn more from him about that. But just going back to the TikTok mm-hmm. thing for a second, the other results that were mm-hmm. almost more important was the people that uh, got hired stayed yeah, interesting. So, right, so, they
0: so attrition rate's massive, isn't it? I, I mean you I was talking to someone the other day that, you know, they they said their standard rate across their business is over a hundred percent attrition. And yeah, year, hundred and ten percent. I was like, I just couldn't I mean it, I know it I know it's talked about a lot. I just find it astonishing really. I mean if you, it's and we've got to do better, haven't we?
1: Yeah.
0: As a, as an industry, hospitality has got to retain people. I know there's practicalities, there's a lot of transient workforce, and I, I get all of that. I, I do understand that. But we've got to do better than 110% or aiming to be lower than 110% sure, Yeah.
1: No, and it's funny, you know, some businesses I've been in as well, you know, it's a it's a win if you get it down from 127% to 120, and mm. it is, but mm. oh my God, it's like, you know, you're just drowning less fast than someone else, and that that's not a win for <laughs> anyone, you know? Um, but I yeah. think, um, you know, just we were talking about hospitality rising there, I mean, just for anyone that doesn't know about it, and I know, you know, you've been so instrumental in helping us, you know, get contacts and getting the word out there and, and all that stuff, getting people to invest. But, you know, in terms of that, I'm really starting to form it in my mind now. And I think what we're trying to do here is build a new hospitality. Um, And I'm really excited about that prospect. And I think the second thing is a kind of vision part to it, you know, as if it was a company, where can we make hospitality uh, one of the most admired careers of choice in the UK? And I think that kind of nails it. And then that means it's not just the hospitality rising adverts, and you know, there's a far more important thing, you know, behind the scenes, which is, you know, no zero-hour contracts, or you know, no uh, abuse and mental health care, and you know, how can we make it an industry to be proud of fully? You know, the the, the weird thing is, Mark, there are
0: so many companies who do this so well yeah. within their own environments. And they shout about it. They do. You know, people, I guess, if you look at pubs, Green King, M&B, you know, all these guys, And you know, Marston's are now having a real push on this about creating their employee, employee brand mm-hmm. and how they do it. And I think they all kind of shout about it in silos, but it feels to me like they're all shouting through like a toilet roll holder, yeah. right? They're all kind of standing there, each one of them shouting like that. And they might be a hundred of these companies lined up shouting through. What we need is them all to be shouting through a massive pipe yeah. about how great the sector is. And that might mean some collaborative working, and it might mean, and, and that's the challenge. You're, you're sort of saying to these guys, these big, big employers, um, we know what you're doing from an employee brand perspective. We actually, we're the level above that. We, want, we, you know, to make hospitality better, we've all got to come together. And what I find really marked about, the campaign that you've run, which I think is absolutely inspirational, not just uh, saying that because you're but you know I do. I think it's a a brilliant thing for the sector. We should all be putting something back. It's afforded us all careers. I think um, I see all the small companies, I say small, the smaller businesses, the entrepreneur-led businesses are all sticking money in. They're all going, we'll do it. Mm. We're all, you know, And but we need to get the big guys over the line. And they need to recognise that if they're poaching people from these smaller businesses or they're losing people to these smaller businesses, to these smaller businesses, lo- there's attrition. It is one great virtuous circle. Yeah. And the more that they put in to supporting the sector and yeah, they are bigger and yeah. Okay. If there is a tax on doing that, they pay a bit more, but not per, you know, because they're bigger um, per, cap- per capita. Of course they'd be paying, you know, the same, but I think I, for me, I feel quite passionately that, one or two of the big guys will start to do it. I really believe in the next few few weeks, we're going to get one of them over the line, one or two of them over the line, and then I think it'll be like a dam breaking because I think once this thing gets going, I really don't see that anyone will be able not to be involved when they start to see that strategically it's changing the face of their sector.
1: Yeah. no, I, I feel quite passionate about that. No, I think it's huge, and, and, and thanks for all your help. I mean really if you look at the list of people we have about five real big ones yeah. and then that's it and, and the chat we're getting is you know we're waiting on more of that's the big guys because enough. everyone's waiting on everyone else and it's like yeah. we're just going to need a few um you know sort of brave things i think you know some of the other pushback was you know we're concentrating in other areas on our own so one person that said no. So, you know, I, I was like. So here's it. Here's a way of flipping it for you. If I was one of the big pubcos who haven't signed up
0: right now, I'd want to be the first. Yeah. And I would if I was running one of those companies, I would want to be the ones who say, "Do you know what? I believe in it. I think we should do it. We're going to commit." Yeah. So if I'm if I'm uh you know if I'm Nick McKenzie or I'm you know whoever else who, Simon, whoever him, he, other he. leader from it Simon yeah. yeah any of those any of the big. I'd go Simon Longbottom, Stonegate, whatever. I would want to be the first yeah. who can go, we recognize this. We know that this is, and they will understand that they as CEOs, it is about their legacy. And their legacy, they will understand that. And not just their legacy in the wealth they create for them, their colleagues, their teams, the secure environment, but actually their legacy in terms of the sector mm-hmm. and what they're doing to be better. You see the smaller guys. So, you know, a great example of someone who is always all over this would be Hawksmore and Will, well, where they know, they know, Will, Will knows his, his, uh, you know, his footprint. He knows his footprint on the world and that company's footprint on the, all the people they touch, customer, colleague, uh, yeah, everybody. And, there are a number of businesses, the smaller entrepreneurial led entrepreneuria. I can't say the word entrepreneur led. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'll do. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, these companies, they're really good at it because yeah. I think there is a humility that comes with starting something from nothing. Yeah. Um, do the bigger companies, I'm not saying, you know, please don't, I don't want this to be a run about big companies because they oh. pay our bills and I love working with yeah. them. But I think I think they have to, and they do recognise, and they should recognise their responsibility strategically uh, and their impact and footprint mm. on the sector, on the economy. Mm. And I
1: think some of the, I could, you know, I think the better ones do. I really do. I think, you know, we, we should get there. I hope, you know, as you see, you know, one of the big brewers comes in, PubCo's... Um, I think that that will that will start the chain reaction. I mean, at the moment we're at six hundred grand. I mean, it's going to happen, right? We're, we're going ahead, yeah. um, and you know James Nye, who's been instrumental in this whole thing from Angling Country Ends. You know, he's been my right hand man really along the way, and he said to me, "Get this out your head that fundraising ends." He goes, "It's just <laughs> going to be continuous." Yeah. Get this yeah. out your head that this is not happening. It is happening, um, and and you know and he said you've got to start seeing this as a five year thing. You know, yeah. Um, Yeah. So I think if the operators, you know, like the chat I've just had with Phil, honest, you know, if the operators can get together to fix a new way on the inside, and then we fix this new way on the outside, then you know the Skoda analogy I've always been using will come true and will work. You know, Mm. Um, so it's it's you know we've got a we've got a brand problem, but we've also got a you know perception problem, but we've got a product problem. Um, and not everyone has, not everyone has, mm. but the the larger majority might have. So that's something we need a wee task force is there a, to get to. Is there know? a
0: bit here?
1: Is there a bit here, Mark? You know, if you if you
0: look at, so I look at Manchester. Okay, as a as a as a city, I know really, really well. And I look at the operators in Manchester, mm. and they are forever helping each other out. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. They really do. They want. I think, you know, if you talk to the guys from Mission Mars, they'll yeah. recognise that if ARK's bar, ARK Inspiration's bar across the road is full, that will mean that their bar will be full as well. And people will there's a circuit and they're forever helping each other out. I wonder with the bigger companies whether they are They are all fighting tooth and nail over um, against their competitors. Whether there is that desire to collaborate at a more strategic level, and and maybe there's the challenge. You know, how do you get everyone around the table and kind of say, "Come on, this is for the better good"? When they're just uh, they've had a torrid two years, they their balance sheet's shot, and they've got to focus on their own business. I do get it.
1: Um, yeah, but you but, know, but you it's know. a problem that's not going away. And I, I think I hope mm. to God that we can make it happen well because the people that are helping us on the creative side of things, the IPA, they were working with supermarkets uh, to mm. try and help solve food banks, and the supermarkets couldn't even get together to do something that is literally life or death. Mm. So mm. you're just hoping that we're better than that, you know that that you know we do. And I, I listened to some of the. Uh, award speeches at the publicans and all the rest of it we're one big industry Mm. we're all together we all support each Mm. other and it's like well let's do that then you know and Mm. and this is the way to Mm. do that you know how can Mm. we get the perception out there that we deserve you know yeah it's a really great it's a good point
0: and i think it's fair and i do think it's the bigger generally the larger businesses don't collaborate with other larger businesses Mm. Um, and I get it they're huge they've got enough to worry about themselves you yeah. know they it's <laughs> its hard enough running a business of that size without oh, yeah. anything but I think I think yeah I just look at I look at how you can do it on a smaller scale
1: and uh, th- th- that sort of collaborative piece um, you know works works really well yeah no I think it's the start of something big something bigger actually I think the hospitality rising mm. and the ad campaign is one piece of twenty things that actually needs to happen. Um, yeah. But I, yeah. I think it's in our almost our generation's hands to do it. You know, we're the kind of mm. the next the next bunch of leaders, really. Um, that, that will hopefully you know be able to change it. You know, for the next generation mm. beneath us. So it's uh, no, it's really exciting, really exciting. So no, I'm, I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I think there's thirty odd days to go. Um, and then that's the first round of fundraise anyway. So that'll be that. So a couple of wee things on you then. Um, just, uh, I know you'll need to head off in a wee sec. So just in terms of your work and all the rest of it, um, what's the uh, biggest success then? You know, if you are retiring tomorrow, what do you think has been the proudest thing you've been doing with recruitment?
0: I I think that, I'd like to think, it's really difficult because I'm not great at personal PR, as you know. Yeah. I'm not someone to really blow my own trumpet. I'd like to think that people have a good experience of working with us. and We add value to the businesses we work in and the sector that we sit in. I was at the Publican Awards last week, and uh, ARC won two awards, Liberation one three. These are all clients that we have helped you know, I mean, liberation, we put in half of the leadership team. Um, And I, I, I feel, you know, I was sitting on the table with some other people and saying, Oh, you should be, you should be telling everyone about the impact you've had in their business. You should be doing PR out of this. And I, I just think, I think, I, I do feel very proud of the impact we've had on businesses we work with. I look at the success of Green King over the years. And I know that if we haven't put the people in there, that, had a huge impact to that business and a lot of those people have since moved on. I mean, you know, Punch is a great example, you mm-hmm. know, where Clive we put we put Clive into um into Green King. We put Russ, uh, Russ Danks, who's their marketing yep. director at Punch now. We put him in with Clive. They filmed, formed a great bond. They went to Punch. We then helped Punch pull their team together, because Clive asked me to. Um and these are people that I think if you know I, I always say as a joke, uh, at the last publican awards, Andy Spencer from Punch presented with, uh, with my own pineapple uh, that they have as their emblem. And he said, you should wear this with pride. Um, oh God, I've still got it here somewhere. There you go. Oh, I genuinely cool. got a little Punch pineapple. And I, I do, I think for me, I know that we have added so much value to that business mm. in the last, um, you know, the last period of time. and And obviously that then helps them, ultimately sell that business for a huge amount yeah. creates a lot of wealth for the investors and yeah. Yeah, but it, but it's more nuanced than that. It's the culture. It's i placed someone at quite a junior level there during lockdown who, uh, she had, I, I you know, I had to coach her through the whole process. She'd never been through a recruiting process really before, yeah. but I thought she was fantastic. I saw a spark in her and she, I uh, yeah, she loves it. Great culture. And I think it's, I think if you really wanted to distill it, cause I am a bit verbose, um, I think we help change lives and really make an impact on people's lives, and I love that. And ninety-eight percent of the time, that's a really positive thing. Yeah. Occasionally, it goes wrong, but I'd like to think that you know, if uh, you know, when I retire or get hit by a bus, whichever comes first, um, people would say um,
1: that we had a positive impact on them and their 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 working life and their business. Yeah, that makes sense. So last couple of things then, a bit of fun. Um so market of yes. ten stuff. Um so what would you say best city to eat in? Oh,
0: so you're expecting me to say Manchester, aren't right? you? <laughs> well, at least um, it's not London.
1: Everyone says London so, like, oh god. Definitely not London.
0: Um <clears throat> I'm gonna go for Naples. Oh very because good. I thought if I went if I went for Manchester, you'll just it's boring and everyone will know about it. But I'm gonna say Naples. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say Naples for a few reasons. One, because the best pizza place in the world in Naples, and pizza is my favourite food stuff. So you know that's uh, who doesn't love you know such a simplistic thing done brilliantly. Mm-hmm. The other thing is what I love about Naples is it's it's a bit Mancunian. It's the kind of it's their south which is the equivalent to our north Mm -hmm. they have a real pathological hatred of Rome and uh, I think Mancunian's the same with London Um, so there's a lot of kindred spirit going on in Naples but you can walk around the corner and just be at a mom and pop restaurant and it can just be the best thing you'll eat I mean I just love it as a dirty grimy real wonderful place but of course it has you get I think um, well you I think you're probably going to ask me what my favourite restaurant is Mm. and um I'm going to give you two, but one of them is in Naples, which is the original okay. um pizzeria in Naples, queues around the block. They only offer two. They offer two things on their menu, a marinara and a margarita, and you can have it big or small, and that's it. Yeah. And people, it's got Michelin guide stuff all over the doors. Oh. People queue for an hour to get in, and it's the best that you'll ever eat. I won't talk to you about how bad my experiences have been with their franchise businesses around the world, which have probably been the worst experience I've ever had. Uh, Terrible, Uh, unbelievably bad, but I'm sure they'll make that out. But the original Demichaeli in uh, Naples is, uh, it should be a foodies heaven.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I literally had to arguing uh, Italian football fans sitting next to me. One was a Napoli fan, one was Juventus fan, and they got up and started sparring me. And I'm like, it couldn't be any <laughs> yeah, more authentic yeah, yeah. if you tried. It was, just, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I loved it. If, if I'm going to be a bit... Um, if you want a uh, best restaurant in in the UK, uh, I would say Long Clume, uh, yeah. um, which obviously just had three stars, but I've been... Very fortunate to have been a few times, and I know a few of the guys there. And they're wonderful. Everything about it is perfect for me. Um, so for a special occasion, I would I would go there. Nice. And what
1: about your best dish or meal?
0: I thought long and hard about this because I do eat a lot, as you well know. <laughs> um, I'm going to go for, and there are arguments as to which chef to attribute this um, uh, to, but. Simon Rogan, Stroke, Mark Birchall, Stroke, Adam Reed—all mm. uh, of the same uh, Simon Rogan factory originally um, do a beef tartare in coal oil with um, in various different guises. And I've eaten it at Longclue, I've eaten a version at Moore hall and I've eaten a version at French in Manchester. And it is still the best thing I've ever eaten. Coal um, cool oil. Coal oil. Yeah, so beef and coal oil basically. So it tastes—it tastes—it's a beef tartar, but it kind of tastes like it's been barbecued, but it hasn't. Whoa! And it is—they'll all lay claim to it, uh, but um, it is amazing. And once during lockdown, this true true story. This I I I've, I've, I know Adam pretty well. He's um he's quite a good friend, and I got my wife a lockdown box. As you do, because we couldn't go out anywhere. And I said to I said to him, I said, "Could you do us a beef in coal oil and stick it in? Because it's a birthday." And he did. Oh my god! And well done. Out of the of the absolute treats that I had in lockdown, I have to thank Adam Reed for uh,
1: <laughs> for that because it it was a proper treat. That sounds amazing. And then what about drinks? What's your go to? Jesus anything
0: uh, you know me again um uh, so my go-to at the moment is a dirty dry martini at Hawksmoor.
1: very good i think it's
0: perfect i think they've nailed it um and i love love it i love the way they make it and it's just perfect for me i don't know as well there's something about it they recognize me in there now they give me the same spot in the bar and i just think they know how i like it and that goes to why
1: i love that business so much is that gin martini
0: Yes. Mhm.
1: Cool. And, yeah, and have much you much. had the pre-mix ones? Are they any good? Yeah, they're really good. Are actually. They? Yeah, you
0: stick them in the freezer for an hour. They're really, really good.
1: Yeah. Great. Great. I mean, I'm I'm lucky enough to I'm going to New York, uh, Hawksmoor, in the next few weeks. So, in about a month's I know, time, you have actually. told me. I'm you have very, told me more excited. than once. Yeah. Very, <laughs> <laughs> very excited I'm very. About je-
0: that. I'm very jealous.
1: I, uh, I am. It's going to be something else, yeah. I think. Um, and then yes, yeah, so a dream dinner guest. Then so. You know who would you love to go out with for dinner? Dead or alive, celeb, someone you know. So again,
0: this is impossible, right? Um, I would go for the only person that I've ever watched who makes me laugh until I cry mm. because I just love love to meet him and find him unbelievably funny, and that's Peter Kay. Oh, yes. um, and 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 I, and I know it's. I just I know he's. Ridiculous, and he gets lampooned a bit now for kind of his stuff. But I just, I, I just think he's hilarious, uh, and I'd love funny. to meet him. And he's a proper northerner, and I think we'd, I think we'd have a a, a, a Bailey's or whatever it is the only drink he drink. drinks and, uh, I'm sure it'd be good fun. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean that uh, live at the top of the tower. I mean yeah, back funny. in the day, that's one of the best things I'd ever seen. I thought it was, you know, I don't know. Mm. Now he gets, you know, as you say. Taking the mick out of a bit and it's a bit cliche and whatever. But when you saw that yeah. for the first time, you were like, "Jesus Christ, that's yeah. an amazing!" And I know, I know, and I'm old. Okay, you know, I'm old. <laughs> I'm in my 40s Gentle dad humor is uh, what what we need. Yeah. I think but, a but, bit of what <laughs> he says, bit of blue for the dads. Um, right. So and then the <laughs> the, the, the last last thing I was, yeah. What about the rest of the year? Then what does it hold for you? I mean, it feels like it's going rapidly this year already. But um, what's yeah. what's happening? Yeah. What's on the horizon for the rest of the year?
0: Um, so much. I mean, uh, I think we we've got a lot of stuff that is is in the wings and, and waiting to happen. A lot of projects that are going to happen. I think people are waiting to just get spring trading underway and yeah. really start to put the money back in the. You know, the weather's not been great. I think we are. I wouldn't say we're driven by the weather, but when there's when the tills are ringing. Which invariably is when there's better weather, then people tend to start to push forward on their hiring. I, I have a huge amount of positivity. I've been a bit of a COVID um, uh, hawk rather than a dove. I, I've, I've kind of feel that um, that once everyone's vaccinated, we will start to emerge. I think the only well, one of the only things the government has done really well is is that sort of return to normality that it feels like right mm. now. I mean, it's not. If not now, when? I think people were rightly asking that question. So I'm, I've, I've been Simon, who I work with, calls me Nostradamus because he thinks I've, I've called the entire pandemic <laughs> as it's gone. But really, that's just because I read a ridiculous amount of articles yeah, and I yeah, yeah. kind of stuff. But I, I feel hugely positive. I feel positive that. We're gonna have a good year. I feel positive the sector's gonna have a good year. And I feel really positive about what you're doing and that strategically we're gonna to start to reposition the the sector and it's gonna become a, a start to become a place people really see the opportunity to grow their careers. So
1: yeah, I feel hugely positive. Big good. year, big year ahead. And then the message for anyone about hospitality rising is get inv- get invested. <laughs> get invested. Don't be the ones that didn't get didn't invest. Because you know, there'll be a point when a candidate
0: Will look up and they'll go. Who were the first to invest? Mm. They really will. They'll understand millennial, millennial and Gen Z, as you said. They're pretty sharp. Mm. They ask the right questions. They, you know, they, we we have many candidates now who go in and say, you know, what's your sustainability? How how is that just because you're ticking it on a CSR sheet, or do yeah. you really care about how you recycle? Do you really care about your carbon footprint, or are you just? You know, is it a tick box exercise? And the same will be true with things like hospitality rising. Did you support my sector? People will start to ask that question. Yeah. So my 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 plea to big hospitality bosses is: think of your footprint, think of the impact you can have, and think of your legacy. And uh, you know, hopefully that'll uh, we'll start to get all those those bigger guys in and that and
1: a few weeks, and months, and it's only what one two thousandth of your pay bill. I think we worked out. Yes, yeah, you know nothing is it? No, nothing. Absolutely nothing. not. It's a Absolutely. small amount. Great. Well, listen, man. It's been such a pleasure to catch up with you. Um, I think you might be my last podcast for the series. So we've ended on a high. Oh, okay. Um But it depends when I I, I might put you out a bit earlier than some other episodes because of the the relevancy so anyway we'll get that out and um, yeah I just wish you a great weekend, great holiday and just thanks Thank for you. inviting me up to Manchester, thanks for just being a new friend, it's been awesome and, uh, and yeah. we'll catch up soon well
0: thanks to you Mark, you're such a force for good in the industry and um, uh, you know it's great to get to know you and um, you, know, you know you're know, you always welcome up here you never need an excuse
1: to get more, no, up, sure. absolutely no. <laughs> <laughs> alright take it easy man, thanks yeah, see you soon. So there we go. That was Dan from SPE Resourcing. So obviously, if you need any help in finding amazing people for your business, then do get in touch with Dan. And I'd like to say thanks to Dan for new friendship as well and connecting and having some great fun up in Manchester when we were up there at the NRB, Tom Hetherington's thing. And also just uh, being a huge supporter of, of hospitality rising he's been absolutely out of this world so thanks to having simon too huge thanks to you for listening i think this is going to be the last episode for a wee while just because it's got super busy with clients which is great news thankfully but also with hospitality rising coming to the end of phase one of the fundraise and also just trying to get the creative campaign going and get everything lined up for that A huge thanks as ever to Tipjar and also Saved by Robots for helping us, supporting us, and being our champion all the way through this series. Thank you very much to JB and the gang at Tip Jar, and also to Paul and Mike and the rest of the Robots gang. Obviously, if you need help with how your staff are being tipped and rewarded, do get in touch with JB, James Brown at Tip Jar. And also, if you need any design, branding, creative thinking, then get in touch with Saved by Robots up in Glasgow, but obviously internationally known and working internationally. So get in touch with Paul and Mike at savebyrobots.com and they will sort you out too. Thanks as ever to Gaz and Gabby for all their help in putting the episode together. Thanks for everything you've done for this series. We should have a couple of bonus episodes and surprise episodes coming up, hopefully one from New York very soon too. So stay tuned and I'm sure you will see that coming up in your podcast feed very soon, next couple of months. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off for season three. Thank you so much for listening. It's been absolutely incredible. Bless you for your time and also the kind words and also sharing it with your friends, family, peers and whoever you think would be interested. I really, really appreciate it. So as ever, I hope that this episode has given you great value, insight and ideas that will help your brand boom.